calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello, junkies. Welcome to the final episode of the Nocturnal Podcast. It's what we do every time we finish a book. It is the Q&A episode because we care so darn much about what you have to think. Joining me today here in Empty Set Studios in sunny, beautiful San Diego, California, is none other than the amazingly talented A Real Girl, the director of Doom, my business partner, a Kovacs. <laughs> Hi, Scott Sigler. How, how are, are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. So I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's uh, it's it's 20 to 11 in the morning and we have Bloody Marys. That's their morning drink. Their morning drink because there's tomato juice in them. Exactly right. That makes it okay to drink in the morning and not uh, have to worry about your your mental or physical health. That is correct. And the reason we are doing that is because we always celebrate when a book is over. Uh, Nocturnal completed last week with episode number 45. And now here we are. If you haven't listened to it yet, you can hear the whole damn thing. Go to scottsigler.com slash nocturnal dash episodes. Get it all or go to iTunes. They're all available on iTunes if you search for Scott Sigler. But the book is done and that's always a big accomplishment. So we have a we have a little bit of a drinky drink. And we get all of your questions gathered together, which is what we're going to go over here today, is your questions. We have a ton of questions, don't we? Oh, my God. I think we have like 30 questions. So what I'm thinking, and because we never really look at them beforehand or try really hard not to look at them and don't listen to the ones that come in audio, we end up, we might have a little bit of overlap. So we'll see how that goes. Um, 30 is quite a lot. 30 is a lot. So Especially gonna, because you are chatty. I'm, I'm very chatty. But the goal of this always is we try and encourage you guys to call in or send in your MP3s and or email. So I don't know what you are going to ask me. You may hear my response and say to yourself, oh my gosh, he is so witty and sharp and well-spoken that surely he listened to all of these questions beforehand. But remember, I just told you, you, you were kind of chatty. I'm kind of chatty. I'm kind of chatty. Actually, yeah. she caught me in midair with my finger up. I was about to start a litany of points. Yeah. Point number one. Uh, but A's worked with me for six years now, so she knows she knows what's going to happen. If you guys have listened to me for a while, you know damn well what's going to happen, too. All right. Wait, I think what? there's a couple of pieces of housekeeping. Let's do it. So we are in the Empty Set Studio in San Diego, as Scott mentioned, because the um, Tech TARDIS is for... Oh, that's square. right. Square. Yes. Uh, we are not in the Tech TARDIS. We're actually sitting in the office. The office has 25 foot high ceilings and is an industrial space. Mm-hmm. So I think that may end up a little bit on the, the recording. So if you guys hear a little bit of echo, there's a giant uh, 30 
floor office building yes. going up next door, so you might hear a little bit of construction noise. We tried real hard to block that out, but... Our empty set studios is actually a big-ass room with a 4x4 recording booth and lots of cool gear. Don't get me wrong. It's a studio, but it's meant for one person. Can't really get two people into that booth. It's like a sauna. It's like a sauna in there with one person, with two people. Are you making fun of my New York accent? No, no, Because I can't no, say not. that word at all. Also, I noticed you said that we're in an industrial space. Yeah. By industrial space, she means the basement of a century-year-old church. I do. So we are where they used to torture people. That's not true. That's not how that works. That, the Inquisition was about 80 years ago? No. What? Yeah. No. The Inquisition. There's another piece of housekeeping. Yes. The other piece of housekeeping is that we have a special guest. We do have a special guest. We have Reese, the office dog. Yeah. We she's will... currently sleeping in a chair next to me, but in case she wakes up and barks, which she sometimes does at the construction next door, that well, would be Reese's You. That's not you or I barking is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here is the first call that came in for Nocturnal. Hello, FDO. This is David from Salt Lake City, Utah. What up, David? Love, love, love you. Would have your baby if that were physically possible. Yes. And I'm sure that there's a way in you know, one of your next books. Where Science. You'll probably make it so that I can and I'll have to eat those words. But Don't eat the baby. I uh, just wanted to say absolutely love all of your stuff. Yes. Then doing a fairly mindless data entry job for more than five years that I get to just listen to mm -hmm. everything you put out and just gobble it up. And so thank you for helping fill all that time. You're welcome. Uh, three questions for you really quick with regards to Nocturnal. First, uh, when I listened to the original and, and listening to the, this new version as well, mm -hmm. I just, I can't help but think how amazing I think it would be as a video game. Uh, I just, you know, you have all the different all right, all monsters right. of Marie's children that could be the different bosses of levels and mm -hmm. things of that nature. And I just, th that was the thing that I always thought would be the best medium for it for the next level. I was curious, just any thoughts you had on that as I agree. Nocturnal as a video game? Yes. Uh, I think it just <laughs> kind of curious if you would ever consider doing a prequel of sorts kind of going more in depth into Marie's children and yes. all and just the story of mommy and before she you know became an elephant because obviously she had to get laid once or twice before then to you know create firstborn and all that so just kind of curious about their backstory and if you'd ever go into a more in-depth story of them and then third and finally dying to love Phil Giganti he does an amazing yes. job with this but can we please just for old time's sake, get a little bit of you, the FDO, doing some Pookie Chang. I, I absolutely love the original Pookie Chang voice. Just get a little bit of that. And thank you so much. Keep up all the amazing and good work. Thank you to you and A Real Girl for everything you guys do to put out your content to the fans. Thanks a bunch. Listen Bye. to this guy, Bri Bri. All he's doing is blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> Not that that's a problem. I think he's all right. Listen, there's your Pookie Chang. Number one video game, go write it and bring it to us. Number two, uh, prequel for Nocturnal, absolutely in the works. And by in the work, I'm making air quotes, by in the works. You know, everybody can see those air quotes. Air quotes. By in the works, <laughs> I mean, I am dying to do the turn of the century story uh, with Marie's children and all of that stuff. Will I ever get to it? I don't know. However, if the Nocturnal TV show ever gets picked up, that will give us enough momentum to try and get that project done because that's we have this huge timeline in the Nocturnal Series Bible that goes back 250 years. 
And that story is definitely in there. And that story is also integral to the plots in the TV show. So uh, at some point, I can see that coming out. My guess is that we will see that in comic book or graphic novel format. I cannot, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine at this point with all the projects we have going on, sitting down and writing that novel, but I can definitely see it as a graphic novel. So we'll see how that goes. So that does answer all of his three questions, does it not? It does. Also a polite gentleman. A polite gentleman. Yes. We like polite gentlemen. We do. Should I move on and read a question? Yes, let's read a question. Okay. Because we're literate. At least I am. You're just answering. <laughs> and you gesticulate on a podcast. I'm yes. not so sure Air quotes. Gesticulate. Not a naughty word. No, it should be, though. It's not. Testicular gesticulation. That <sighs> is a naughty word. Okay, moving on. Okay. From Tolly. To whom it may concern. I think it concerns us. I'm a big fan of your GFL universe, even though I'm not a fan of football. I really like the politics going on between the factions of the old wounds that are just hidden under the surface. Really fine work there. Keep it up. My question is... <laughs> my question is when will we see the rest of the crypt or any non-sports stories in that universe been waiting a few good years and i even bought every gfl audiobook just to hear more tidbits about that universe long time lurker first time stalker Tolly. first of all Tolly, i told you hey, never. Hey, hey. oh there's a ps okay ps hunter hunterson is also great uh Tolly, i told you never to call me here yeah also, i was very specific Those are the nocturnal questions. Oh, yes. So there's no nocturnal nocturnal question whatsoever. Real quick, we'll (laughs) try and try. I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to get to the crypt. (laughs) It's it's not working out for me. (laughs) We're going to get to it eventually. We've got to finish up Earth Core and get that as an ebook and audio book. And we'll probably get the lovely, silky voice of Phil Giganti to do that one as well. When that's done. Then the next available window of opportunity where someone is not paying me money to write a book, we will move on to uh, the crypt. What else? Oh, yes, I do. I get excited when people comment on and this is a side note, side okay. note. I'm gesticulating with a hand toward her side note uh, that all of the GFL is largely based on World War One reconstruction. And if you are at all a history buff and want to go back and reread those books, uh, you can see the parallels to the different. Um, empires and governments that were crushed in World War I and the new ones that came in for World War II and how that all came to be in the larger timeline. And basically all of the grand mistakes that we made as a planet that led from World War I to World War II. So that's a lot of, um, that's a lot of what's going on in the GFL and you can look for those little tidbits anytime you like. I think, ready for another audio call? Actually, there's a similar, the next, because since I can peek ahead, the yes. next question is sort of similar. We might okay. just do both together. Hit it. Um, from Gabriel Simon, I was wondering why Marie's children or a Brian Clouser clone wouldn't be used in the GFL era military. Personally, I can see a lot of potential for Z chromosome shock troops and Brian Clouser quote unquote clone troops in a war against the aliens. Thanks. Not that anyone, anyone else's question is bad, but that's a good question. Well, yeah, except, you know, why aren't there clones? Why is there not a Napoleon clone today? Oh, but... He's asking about within the con- the fictional confines of the story. So right. first of all, cloning is not a thing in my Sigliverse timeline. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I haven't forgotten anything. There is no cloning of any kind because I'm a big believer in uh, nurture versus nature. I think they're very closely link- linked, but you, you are the person you are because of the sum total of the collection of your experiences that you have gone through. If I had taken you, and I'm talking to you, podcast listener, and if I had taken you as an infant 
and dropped you off in another part of the world with other parents, other friends, other family, you'd be a, a drastically different person. Some of your biological drives would be the same and your response to uh, input in, you know, uh, environmental input that has helped make you who you are would still be consistent, but you would have a completely different perspective. So cloning, I'm a, I really poop a lot on cloning in, in pop culture, especially movies like Alien where they clone Sigourney Weaver from a drop of blood. You get nothing, no experiences from that whatsoever. Well, and not only that, I think that the really, the true benchmark for cloning was multiplicity. Yeah, absolutely. A copy of a copy of a copy. (laughs) Such a good movie. Um, So that's something I just don't get into very much in my work. To answer your question, though, you're assuming that Marie's children and the Z chromosome will be resilient enough to survive and be passed on to 20 or 30 generations in order to reach the crypt level, which is 500 years from now, or the GFL level, which is 700 years from now. And that's a big assumption, mister. That's a big assumption. And I don't think you should presume to think you know what's going to happen in the Siglerverse because there are more nocturnal books coming someday. And we may find out what happens when an entire planet is trying to wipe out your species. It's a lot of pressure. I'm sure you think you have pressure at work and like, if I could just go to Taco Bell for 15 minutes, I would be fine. It's a different kind of pressure. Sir, yes, sir, ma'am. sir, yes. this is a tangent. Oh, tangenting. Okay. Also, I want you people to know she just gesticulated by raising her hand to ask a question. I also said, sir. <laughs> I don't know if you heard ma'am, me, sir. Ma'am. Sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. Okay. Now we're going to move on to the next call. Hang on. First, I think we need to talk about the great courses. I keep trying to stick it in there. Uh, what? I do. I keep. I keep trying to. <laughs> Let's start over. Just go ahead with it. Okay. The Great Courses, a Kovacs. I love the Great Courses. It's an. There are second sponsor of this podcast, mm-hmm. and now we're to the point where we have sometimes two sponsors per podcast. Yeah, not a lot, but sometimes. Do you know why? Because our junkies are awesome. Your junkies are awesome. No, literally, when we run an ad. It's now become apparent to these people. We're not just throwing crap out there. We have smart people who want to buy smart stuff. Right. And I actually love the great courses. It's really fun. It's, it, I was shocked. I was a little bit down on it. I'm like, sure, send me your fancy course. Why don't I have to take a test? Blah, 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 blah. I know, but it's blah, really blah. good. But and then I watched the story te- Art of Storytelling, and it was, it was kick-ass. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting, because everybody has brings their own sort of preconceived ideas. And for me, it was they sent us DVDs to look at. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, how am I going to watch a DVD? Right. Um, but the reality is the, it, they have an app. And you can watch it on your iPad. You can watch it on your computer. On you your Android. Yeah. On your phone. Tablet. Right. Yeah. All, all of the devices. Yep. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of short-sighted of me because it was really interesting. I actually watched the art of uh, the uh, photography course. And, oh, yes. The photography course. Right. And that was awesome. And I learned a lot. And I don't, you know, I, everybody takes snapshots. But yes. that, it's funny because I went to Dragon Con and I had learned a handful of things about like uh, the rule of threes and stuff like that. Yeah. That, I, I needed to then, incor- or I just sort of did incorporate instead of, you know, you never think to learn that stuff I on your own. just started watching that one, and that is, uh, this is the notes we have actually from them. It's National Geographic fellow Joe Sartori, mm-hmm. and Joe, you got to watch this thing, he's taken some of the most pimp photos. You'll recognize some of the photos you see this guy talking about as like, holy crap, I've seen that a thousand times. There's a reason you saw a thousand times, because it's a really good yeah, photo. the idea of a National Geographic photo that everybody pictures in their head, some of those are his. 
Yes, some of those are his. He covers that all in the fundamentals of photography. Uh, tons of tips in there on how to take better pictures. And of course, he covers all the equipment you need to take photos. He's also talking about the basic fundamentals that will help you take better pictures with your Android and your iPhone and your iPad. And the great courses as a company has been in production for over 20 years. They have over 500 courses on many subjects, including science, which is why they came after us. Cause you sure. guys like science literature. Well, I suppose that too. Also. I'm not really lit. I'm not literature, but they have a great storytelling course, which <clears throat> they sent us to review. They did. And they cover stuff like art and music and more. And as we mentioned, you can get, no matter what you're watching it on or listening, they have straight up gangsta audio too. If you're like screw video, I'm old school. I'm just listening to audio. They've got you covered on that with CDs. So the great courses has a special offer for you guys. The fundamentals of photography, 80% off the original price. What did I say? 80% off the original price only for a limited time. So don't wait, go to thegreatcourses.com slash Sigler. That is thegreatcourses.com slash Sigler. Snag that course for a ridiculously low price. They won't even let me say how much the price is. They but literally said, stop telling people how much it costs when it's 80% off. Yeah, but and it's I, pretty cheap. It's ridiculously cheap. So go check that out. Greatcourses.com slash Sigler. Hey there, Scott. This is Keegan from South Florida. Keegan. I'm really sad I missed your event at DragonCon, but super pumped to have just listened to the final nocturnal episode on my drive home from DragonCon. All right. Excellent work as usual. Thank you. I think I liked this one even better than your first recording. Yes. Great job all around. And I don't mind at all that you're not reading. Yes. Um, Phil Giganti did an excellent job. He did. Anyway, enough butt kissing. My question is, do you ever start from a point of another celebrity or character from a movie or TV show when you're developing characters? Okay. Um, I love Brian and Pookie and their interaction. Pookie kind of reminded me of Masuka from Dexter, and that got me thinking, where do you start when you are developing characters for your story? Okay. Now that's a great so question. Much, and I can't wait till the next one. Interestingly enough, uh, Pookie Chang predates Masuka, because mm-hmm. I've been working on... I may have the math on this right, but I've been working on Nocturnal for since 2007. So my exposure to the Dexter franchise only came from the TV show. And I think it was a season or two late to get into it at that. Love Masuka. I, if I could get that dude, I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head. If that dude wanted to play Pookie Chang, it would be, yes, absolutely. If I had any pull in the matter. So they're very similar, uh, and they're, they're both dirty-minded, quick-witted guys who are good at their jobs, and they're, they're a lot of fun. Um, it's impossible for me to extricate my love for pop culture throughout, through my childhood, through my teenage years, well into my adult years, into my old fogey years, from crea- character creation. So every character you see in one of my books, it comes from a lot of places. It comes from the people I know and like, the people I know and I don't like. It comes from old bosses uh, all over the place. And a huge part of it comes from comic books, novels, TV, and movies. You know, back when I was a kid, growing up in Sheboygan, Michigan, there wasn't a lot to do. There was no internet. That's how old I am. You kids who think there was never a world of an internet, internet, there was. Me and my friends would watch the same movie 15 to 20 times over the course of high school. And, you know, those, that kind of, love for someone else's creative work you fall in love with characters and you adapt characters and you take little pieces of each character you see and eventually those little pieces show up uh, in new characters and i couldn't tell you exactly who does what i try and drop as many references as i can to 80s and 90s movies the things that really 
help form my tastes and the things I like and dislike. I drop those into the story so that children of the 80s can pick them up. But if you're not a child of the 80s, you would probably miss it. And I'm not entirely sure where all the characters come from. But they do always come from a collection of pieces of people that I know and imaginary people that I know from the movies. Pretty good. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to read one. Okay. This one's from Jason Barry. Hey, Scott, I remember listening to the original podcast version of Nocturnal, and one of the more memorable sections was the fight on the ship in the bay. Yeah. What was the reason to remove that from this final version of the story? Great job on this one. I dare say it's my favorite Sigler book. I can't see... Ooh, I can't wait to see if it makes it to the silver screen. Okay, first of all, Jason, I'm, I'm twitching. I'm having post-traumatic stress disorder because of the ordeals I went through writing the, this version of Nocturnal, <laughs> which... A can relate to. I don't know if I've told the story yet. Have I told them the story about what I was going to do with the first copy of Nocturnal? I we must have mentioned it somewhere, but you should go ahead and mention it. It's the best thing ever because you have not only not done it, all of a sudden your your visceral desire seems, seems <laughs> to have faded away because you no longer use that as a threat either. So I what were you going to do to the first printed copy of Nocturnal? You came. Up I was so frustrated. Remember, I wrote Nocturnal, podcast to you guys, sent that as the first draft to Crown. The Shiv read it, sent me a 22-page single-space letter with everything that was wrong with the plot. 28 page. 28 page. And uh, it, I won't say it changed me, but it was a really difficult experience to to correct all. And he was right with about half of it. So there were about 14 pages worth of errors in there that, you know, plot constructs and characters inconsistencies and things of that nature. To fix all of that, with a plot like mine, uh, you change a bunch of it, and then you keep writing it to the 80% mark. You're like, okay, so everything I've changed now breaks the entire end of the story. I have to go back and start over. I rewrote Nocturnal four or five times, and I kept like I, re- I relied on a real girl heavily during that process. Kept calling her. It was like, my career is over. I can't finish this book. I'm gesticulating <laughs> with wild hand gestures right now because that's what I did. It's it's done. We're too far into this process for me to change. I can't write another book. And can I write another book? Can I just dump this and write another book? This is terrible. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. Worst book I ever wrote. Worst book I ever wrote. And it was a, I'm not, okay. I granted I live in the most privileged country on in pretty much in the history of mankind. And I have all these wonderful things going for me. And I have an amazing life. Thanks to all the people who came before me. This is a close to real trauma that I've gotten, not counting any deaths in the family. It was messed up how difficult it was to get through this friggin' book because the reason all of you are still listening to this podcast at 20 minutes in is because A and I, we do not phone it in. We're going to make the best possible story we can. And anytime we find a problem in the story, we don't just gloss over it. We go back, we tear it out by the roots and whatever it takes, we're going we're gonna to try and fix that and make everything as close to perfect uh, as it can be couldn't do that with nocturnal i was so frustrated i kept telling a when i get the first printed copy of this book i'm gonna take it out in a field throw it down and i'm gonna pee on it i'm gonna that's pee not on a it. thing though people don't do that it's a it's a territorial marking process it works for dogs and i am no more important than dogs you're deaf okay maybe you're not i i'm not so sure that you're not more important than dogs maybe dogs writ large maybe that said Regardless of whether or not you're more or less important than dogs, you are absolutely not a dog. Look, I hey, was so hey, mad. Hey, did you just have a sip? Because yeah. I'm not sure that everyone heard it. When oh, I'm sorry. Again. Let me help that. There you go. That's way better. Way better. Way better. Now. <laughs> um, so I was 
fully committed to getting that first copy from Crown and literally taking it out and peeing on it. I wasn't going to videotape that because that's wrong. Right. And then I finally got the first copy and I'd forgotten all about wanting to pee on it because I'm pretty proud of the way the book turned out. So, yeah. But sometimes these things happen. These, it was, and hopefully I never have to go through that again. We have a different process now. We're more, you know, more people reading the first draft. Um, There's a lot of uh, procedures in place to make sure that we don't get 120,000 words that are just good at the core, but the plot is just broken nine ways to Sunday. And you will see that ship scene again, sir. You will see it again. Right. And I think that that's the last thing we should say about this. There there was the, the question of, we, we actually get the general question, uh, the, the printed book is so much different than the podcast. What happened? We get mm-hmm. that a lot. We get it by email. We get it by impolite email. We get it by people ask you that at cons. Not, not that Jason. Jason was quite polite. But sometimes it's really like, what did you do to my book in a very less friendly way sure um and the answer is always the same like i listened i didn't know you when when nocturnal was being podcast and i listened just like everybody else and everyone knew it was a first draft you said it was a first draft we missed weeks because you hadn't finished writing yet Mm -hmm. so we knew it was first draft so number one a lot of the changes came because a first draft you write to get it on the page and then you have to fix the plot holes that are giant. And there were, whether or not people want to remember them, there were gigantic plot holes in the first draft of Nocturnal. Mm-hmm. And number two, it was gigantic. It was super long. It took you months to write. You took a few, like a little bit of a break in between because of family stuff going on. So by the time it was all said and done and totally written, it was what, a 230,000 word book? It was big like a pickle. Right. And, and Crown was like, we want this book. We don't want a 230,000 yeah, word We want book. this book. You are not yet George R. R. Martin, and you're going to have to cut that down. Yeah, you're just going to have to cut that down, but this is the book that we want, and this story is good. And to be honest, this is one of the things that, that you and the Shiv went back and forth on, and you both discussed at the time. Like, this is good. There are some problems with it. There are some things we have to fix with it. Right. Uh, and when you fixed those, I mean, the book isn't really that much smaller. It came in at 190,000 words, but things got tightened up. So I yeah. think... Uh, most people remember the, the two things. They remember that there's l- a less of a gangster presence in the book, and they remember that that ship scene is gone. And I think both of those things, if and when a nocturnal sequel comes, both of those things may show up again. Definitely, it's and it's set up. All the pieces are in place in uh, Nocturnal One, I guess we'll call it, because I'm so influenced by movies. Let's not even bother dicking around. It's nocturnal one nocturnal two you will probably see that ship scene although it will not be the same so don't you get confident mister <laughs> all right moving on i hope this isn't too late i know it is after what's wrong with September you first it is unfortunately it is um but i want to know if blue balls will be coming out in a hmm. maybe a novelette uh or novella um <laughs> oh, no. or i never story, liked you because i want to hear pookie james's version that'd be fun though that would be awesome who is this um, guy and also <laughs> when could we see or hear of sequels and will they be novel length or novella length or some other um format all okay. right i'm telling Thank you very much this is mike from cincinnati i never liked mike from cincinnati until that last part <laughs> the other formats part he saved himself a tiny bit all right i'm gonna answer this question one more time and i'm sure we've got several of these which is great because there's nothing an author wants to hear okay the two things an author wants to hear the most are here's a big wad of cash take it because you're great 
And then the second thing is, when is the next book in that series coming out? Because that's an in, that's indicative that the person loved the book so much they just want more of it. So. I'll answer this now, and then for all of the future questions, I will call you a big dum-dum and tell you to go sit in the corner. Um, we have a, a big, big, big plan for Nocturnal. We are waiting on our producer buddy, Lloyd Levin, who is taking the series out to networks. And we've taken out to a few networks. We've gotten close. At one point, we had a deal. That deal fell apart. This is the nature of the business. And that deal was to make TV shows. So what I did to help Lloyd was create kind of a five-year plan with all the different properties. Here's what happens in the five years of the TV show. Here's what happens in the Nocturnal 2 and Nocturnal 3 uh, novels in order to facilitate and integrate with the TV show. Here are the graphic novels, here are the video games. So we have all four of those style of properties all completely integrated into this giant canon that if it is made the way we envision it will rival the integrated nature of the star wars well we'll never rival that because star wars was this giant monument to we love our fans we're going to make sure everything is integrated we're not just going to pull stuff out of the air that was before the new movies come out we have no idea what they will be but no franchise in my opinion has respected their fans more than star wars by going through the work of making sure that yeah if you play this video game over here and five years later you read this graphic novel the stuff does not retcon itself. It's pretty integrated. Han shot first. Han did shot. Okay, that's a good point. But once it was taken away from him. Anyways, so the point is we have a giant plan. I have two nocturnal sequel books planned. I have a nocturnal prequel book planned someday when I'm a fat cat and sitting in my 72 acres in the south of France um, mm. and can do whatever I want. I will do that. We have graphic novels planned. So all of these different stories will someday hopefully be told. So yes, there are more stories. Let's get into talking about Blue Balls, the TV show. I think that's a great idea. I never liked Mike from Cincinnati. I think Mike from Cincinnati would like to know that someday we might write a pilot script of 30 pages of Pookie Chang's Blue Balls. First, he was mean to my sister. <laughs> and then he had to bring up Blue Balls. You never thought about it before this very no, second. No, I didn't. I never thought Dad about a script of Blue Balls. It'd be so good. I wonder what kind of a show Pookie Chang would write. All right. Uh, another email question, and then we'll go back to audio. Hit yes. it. Okay, but I got I to gotta find him. Hang on. Okay. This is from DC Wolf. Hi, Scott. Hope you're well. I enjoy our occasional exchanges on Twitter, and I want to thank you for taking the time to answer my questions. One, I was a fan and listener of the original Nocturnal podcast, and I remember the original climax was essentially a huge slugfest on a large ship involving Russian gangsters. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to change the setting? And did you do it? And why did you do it that way? The way you ended up doing it? Why did you decide to re reduce the role of the criminal underworld in the story? We've kind of answered which, that. Which we've covered. And I enjoy talking to you on the various inner tubes as well. But um, that kind of got pushed out, hopefully, for Nocturnal 2 is the short answer. There just was no way to pull it off. Okay. And then number two, I remarked to you on Twitter that the original podcast was fun, but more a comic book, mm -hmm. whereas the new version was a serious novel. One reason for this seems to be that you added a lot of context to the characters that made them more believable and real, i.e. Pookie as a former bully, Robin's ascension to the corner job, Chief Dell's reflection on her time as an idealistic rookie. Mm -hmm. How would you advise inspiring writers to identify when a character feels flat and needs more backstory? And how do you make sure that the backstory you provide... Uh, that you add provides actual depth and not just unrelated filler. Thanks for your time. Go Broncos and go Lions, my, NS, my NFSC, that NFC team. Okay, so that's a really good question, and it's an area I'm extremely weak at because 
I think you guys will see some significant changes when a live comes out in 20 in summer 2015, um, which is my next uh, big book to come out. Um, I have throughout my career come up with book ideas based on three, four, five, six, seven scientific things that all kind of glom together in my head and go, well, if we can do this and then this happens and then this happens and we can do this, what if all those came together and you get cool stuff like Ancestor, which is a, a bunch of different disciplines brought together uh, in, a, in a unique way that I don't, I don't think anybody had ever done before. But when you are plot driven and you have a thriller structure, a lot of times as you're building that framework, the characters are part of the framework. They are just placeholders. And then as you write the book, okay, well, I need this character to have this kind of personality. So at page 212, she would do this thing and that would be consistent with her character and nobody would go, well, that's convenient because building a really good thriller plot is constantly setting up the dominoes, bumping the table, setting them up again, bumping the table. It's over. It's through repetition, you come up with a story that where everything feels natural. And that's the key to my work. What I'm trying to do is make sure that if someone did go into the haunted house alone, which none of us would ever do, you would not think twice about it because we've established that is what the character would do. So when I start out, the characters to me feel extremely flat. They're perfunctory. They're just there as window dressing. And then as I go through multiple rewrites, I'm able to add flesh onto those bones and make it a real person. Unfortunately, adding flesh onto the bones every time changes the character, and then the character won't go into the haunted house that you want them to go into, and the whole plot falls apart, and you got to set the dominoes up and start all over again. So the advice to, to young writers is be prepared to do a lot of drafts. If you're writing thriller-style plots, modern-day plots with real physics and real things, be prepared to write a lot of versions of that story as the characters come to life. And you will know, because when the characters don't do what you want them to do, and you are the person that created them out of whole cloth, you created someone that never existed before, and then you get to a point in the book where you're like, well, Jezebel, just, she just wouldn't do that. That's when you have arrived. That is when you're like, okay, now this is a living, breathing person in my brain because she won't do what I want her to do. Therefore, she's going to be a living, breathing person in the brain of the people who read it. So what happens if you write in a backstory from their younger days where they were meddling kids? Then would they go into the haunted house? It's It's possible, but only if they have an anthropomorphic dog that can somehow communicate. But poorly. Verbally and poorly. When are they going to send Scooby in for speech therapy? That's what I want to know. All right, Reggie. No, let's roll our R's, Scooby. No snacks until you pronounce your R's correctly. Okay. So the new stuff coming out, I I just feel like uh, I've hit uh, like a surfer cresting a wave. I don't know what the proper analogy is, but my writing has changed significantly in the past six or seven months. Uh, I don't know if it's an age thing, if it's a maturity thing, but uh, you'll see some different things coming up, which is character-based, where you Mm -hmm. start out with the characters and then you let the characters take the story where the story needs to go. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On May Day, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. 
Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. I'll do another question. Okay. Uh, This one is from Dana Stoll. Uh, Greetings, Scott. Greetings, A. Dana A. Stoll from Texas, also known as Junkie Joker Doss. I have a few questions, please, FDO. One, one, when preparing to write a news story, do you do a quick outline? What were a few of the high plot points you just knew you wanted in Nocturnal, and had they changed at all as the story evolved? And two, next, not to bring up the horrible Pandora's box that is possible sequels, but you had originally planned on leaving the ending of Nocturnal open or open enough that in the future a sequel is possible. You know, since Hillary is taking over as the new mommy and mm. Bribery as the mm. new Erickson. Mm. I promise not to bug you about it like those sphincters who always whine for Mount Fitzroy and the Christian too. <laughs> Keep up the great stories. Yes. Looking forward to the champion. Joker does. Finally, junkies ripping on junkies for ripping on me. I'm very excited about all of this. As we've talked about, there's a whole giant plan for many sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the beginning of that question again? The first part is, do you do an outline and does do your outline Do I do change? a little outline? Listen, champ. Listen, the outlines are massive. They're huge. And I, I tear my what hair I have left out to make them. And then as soon as the characters become real, Reed also want two questions back. They screw up my outlines and then I have to re-outline, re-outline, re-outline. There's always, always an outline. Yeah, there's about two weeks at the beginning of a new, even even for a book like Nocturnal or Ancestor, which you'd written before, mm-hmm. um, I think there's about a minimum of two weeks time to outline in the beginning of our writing arc. And mm-hmm. it's, it's about two, we start with about two weeks for outlining and about four months for first draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we adjust accordingly as you go. And right. for things like uh, the GFL, which, which you know, your outline is the first four or five books, now moving into book six, uh, two weeks would normally cover it. But for something like Alive, that took longer. Yes, and it, it in, invariably, I have one half of my brain. Now I'm pretty seasoned. I'm a veteran of the industry. Now I have one half of my brain that goes, oh, this outline, is I got everything. This time, I've got everything. And then there's the other half of my brain that's like, you know there's stuff you're just missing. There's stuff you, when you start writing, all is going to fall apart. But you got to do it. That's the process. I think uh, writers should outline, unless you are George R. R. Martin style, which is what he calls the gardener. You drop in the seed, you let it grow, and you follow the story where it goes. You're the, an architect. I'm an architect. I build the framework of the building. Because I think the problem with the gardener style is you get to book five in Game of Thrones, and you're ready to go into book six, and you're trying to tell, can you guys tell I'm a fan? You try and tell everybody they know exactly where the story is going and we'll all finish in seven books. And there's fans like me going, there's no way you can pull this off. No way you can tie this all back together. So we'll see. Well, and so far he's done a pretty good job of, of I, I think George R.R. Martin, even though he calls himself a gardener, might actually be. He could be a, a liar. Well, he could be a gardener build. I'll say a gardener building on a trellis. A architect. Exactly. He could, he could be a gardener who has decided I threw all these seeds down. These are the seeds that really are. Did you are, say on a trellis? Yes. I was making fun of it with a architect, but a trellis is pretty strong. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Like, so he sort of now sees the framework. And yes, there's a whole bunch of plants that are not going to get resolved. We're not going to see how they bloom. Okay. But, but if he's smart enough, you don't care. So we're saying George R. R. Martin is a hedge trimmer. Y- yes. Whatever you call that. Yes. I think you call that a gardener. Actually. A gardener. Okay. 
Okay. Future Dark Overlord. That is me. This is Sterling Silverblade. Sterling. Crandall. And I have a question for you. Hit me. I'm listening. Um, yes. What major changes did you make in the book, in the story, uh, from the previous version? And we will answer. Will you be releasing your previous audio version? No. That uh, we could listen to side by side. No. Um, great work. Love uh, Phil's voice, and uh, thanks for all the content. You're the best. First of all, total man crush on Phil Giganti. Total. Oh, yeah. God, he's the, the man. Guy's just like, he just talks, and he's like, I'm just going to sit in this chair, and I'm going to relax for a little while, because Phil is talking. Oh, yeah. He's smooth. He's smooth. <laughs> uh, no. God, no. Hell no. No. We pulled the original version down because it was a first draft. And I'm glad you all loved it so much. I love it. It was super fun. It's not, it doesn't exist anymore. We wiped it out. Well, it's interesting because Sterling, Sterling asked that, you know, I, I'm the one at Empty Set Entertainment who has the tiny black heart. So Sterling asked that question in a very polite, nice way. Like, yep. hey, we would love to compare it. A lot of people are like, dude, what's the problem? I listened to that one. That one way, was way better. Mm. And every time I'm like, really? Tell me how you liked the first draft of uh, Fire and Ice or mm -hmm. Song of Fire and Ice. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you liked the first draft of Pandemic. How'd that go? Literally. Are you really, really, really sad that you can't compare the first draft of Pandemic to the last draft of Pandemic? No, you don't even think about that. Right. So don't tell me it was better. That's not up to you. You can say you preferred it more mm -hmm. and I don't mind that, but it's up to Scott whether or not, it's up to you whether or not it's better. Yeah. And the reality is the, the other one was first draft. So Sterling totally gets points for being a nice, like a normal guy about it but uh every once in a while we get people who are like well but you know my computer crashed and this that and the other and and i i i think you should release it and there's no point why why wouldn't yeah. you release it it's like well because we have the right to control the product in our marketplace the original draft nocturnal it's like uh pike the original captain of the of star trek of the enterprise have you ever seen that episode then you're not a trekkie so why don't you shut your mouth and this is going know off the rails What's that? This is kind of growing off the rails. No, it's the same thing. No. Okay. People can be junkies and not have heard the first draft of That's, Nocturnal. No, they can. I'm just saying if you... Okay, I'm, I've lost my... I, I've lost it. Hey, let's move on. Hot damn, Mr. Sigler. What really made you become such a crazy fuck? I couldn't tell you. What in your childhood happened to you to make you so amazingly dark? And by the way, this bud's for you. Thank, yes, thank you. Well, this Bud Light is for you. And actually, it's a Bloody Mary right now, but don't hold that against me. What happened to me as a child to make me so dark? You guys, I got absolutely nothing. My parents are friggin' first ballot Hall of Famer parents. They were awesome to me. They're still together. They're still alive. They're coming to San Diego soon, which is going to be pretty... I know, in a week. Pretty sweet. Oh, um, oh, trust me. I will get them on tape, and you guys will all get to hear them fussing about various things. We should, we should do cribs in the office. Of we should do with cribs you. with mom. Mom cribs. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's how we're going to do cribs. Anyways, my parents are fantastic. I got a great brother. I grew up in a small town in northern Michigan. Uh, we didn't have, like, we weren't rich, but other than that, I mean, there was, like, nothing ever wanted for. I got to play all the sports I wanted to play. I was too small to be successful in any sport except wrestling, which was difficult in our family, which is a football family. But uh, at all points, I was surrounded by love and positivity and support. That has continued on into my adult life. See what you get? Yeah. What? See what you get when you all you give butterflies, honeycomb, peaches... <laughs> 
cream, <laughs> nothing but love. Yes, that's the problem. I've been given nothing but love my whole life, and now I write stuff like this. I think the problem was Stephen King. I think the problem was reading books that actually scared me and seeing movies that actually scared me and going, I want to do that right there. Uh, the only thing I got is, I really, I, I got nothing. Some people are just born different. Mm-hmm. And some people have an enormous amount of suppressed violence inside of them, but have the rationality and the humanity to not express that psychotic behavior in a way in which other people will get hurt. So I kind of, and it's not, I used to think I was writing stuff because I'm like, this would be crazy if this happened. But largely now I view it all as tragic. Everything that happens to the characters that's bad is let's take the common tragedy we go through every day as human beings and just magnify it a little bit. And by magnifying it, it tends to take people's personal experience away, but still leave that core element of emotion that makes it all kind of real. And it's the bad stuff that makes you bond with characters. Right. Very little of the good stuff. It's the bad, bad things happening to characters or characters being put in a situation where they have to make a really difficult decision. That's when you as the reader empathize. And that's when these characters become a living, breathing thing in your head. And I think there's a little bit of, I, I, this doesn't speak to your, what happened to you when you were young, but um, I also think that there's a little bit of uh, you find you're quite even as an adult you're quite um full of energy all the time you're quite yeah. frenetic often you're quite easily distracted sometimes yep and you get um sort of calmer and it's a little and more um specifically focused when you're doing something that's writ very very large mm-hmm. like what happened at the end of pandemic um or what happened at the end of the first draft of nocturnal on the ship or very, very, very small, like what happens in the um, impregnation scene in Ancestor. Mm-hmm. You, you yourself can calm down and focus because it's it, there's lots to focus on and there's lots of intricacy that's all very highly directed at the same thing. And I think so because it it gives you, I, I think as you write large or as you as you personally write large or as you personally write small, I think it makes you feel more part of the rest of the shared human experience. Yeah. So, uh, short answer is, I don't know what happened to me and B nothing happened to me and C the only time I calm down is I'm writing stuff for you guys. Yeah. And so that's how I connect with you. Cause I'm, you know, you're all humans. I'm much more than human. Let's well, be honest. Not, that's not let's, how that's... let's, let's call it a spade a spade. Okay. But much that's, that's just, if we're calling a spade a spade, then you're a human. <laughs> do we have another email question? We do. Okay. Uh, from FSK1138. Uh, hello, Scott. Many questions left unanswered. Will there be a prequel to Nocturnal? Mm-hmm. We've covered that. We have. Uh, how did this all start? How long has this cycle been going on? Okay. Is the baby the next future savior? Where did the boat come from? And how did it get under the city? Okay. Uh, I'll answer those real quick. Uh, I'll answer the last one first. It's a real boat. That's an actual boat that's under the city of San Francisco. Uh, I will leave you guys to do your own research and come up with what I came up with. But if you have the hardcover of Nocturnal, uh, the website is listed in the back of the book along with a thanks for the guy who documented that. Short, short answer. Gold rush. Everyone in the world wants to come to San Francisco because it's, it's quote unquote, air quotes, easy money, end air quotes. And ships sailed into the San Francisco Bay, into the harbor by the hundreds 
and people, including the crew, just got off the ship and went off up into the mountains to try and make their fortune. San Francisco was left with a harbor full of abandoned ships. And so what did San Francisco do? Gosh darn American ingenuity. Let's dump all of our trash in the bay and make more land to build more buildings. But they do that now, too. They do that now. But back then, crazy revolutionary. And the ships became permanently docked. Uh, for one, for, for starters, then they became um, landlocked and then they became buried. And even today, if they put down a building in downtown San Francisco, they go to put up a skyscraper and they dig down, they run into ships and they have to stop so archaeologists can come in and blah, 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 science and humanity and history, blah, 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 and get in the way of building fancy buildings for rich people to be in, which is ridiculous. Wow. It's ridiculous, I okay. think. So that is all uh, very real. What was the middle part of that question? How did this all start? How long has this cycle been going on? You, I can't. <laughs> and is the baby <laughs> the next future savior? I Number one, I can't tell you how long it's been going on. Pay money for the friggin' books, man, that I haven't written yet, man, sir, and or ma'am, and you will find out. And well, what is the baby? Come on, He's dude. cute. Come on. He's cute. Can I put a neon sign on the friggin' kid's head so you can see what it's supposed to be? Jiminy Christmas. Hmm. I like you, sir. I do. Or ma'am. Well, this is a sir. Well, we know it's FSK 1138. I like you, sir or ma'am, but come on. All righty. Should we go on to another? One more more email question. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This is from Mark in Columbia, Maryland. FDO, first, thanks for a wonderful series of books. You are one of the few authors I enjoy rereading their work. And I love everything you produce. Yes. Three questions. Hit me. Did you have a specific area of San Francisco in mind as you describe all the twists and turns and tunnels in the underground and the boat where mommy are? Mm-hmm. Do I, these are kind of long, so maybe you'll answer. Okay, I'll, let me answer that. Uh, it's real geography. You can find all those places with Google Maps. Mm-hmm. All of it's real. So that answers your question. I found a place that sort of fit, and I built the map based on the two questions back. I built the map based on real ships that are actually buried underneath san francisco so all the things that you read nocturnal is based on real history real geography real ships continue number two in earth Corps, which coordinates are closer to the mine the helicopter supply drop-off point near the beginning or the coordinates provided by the thumper distress message near the end if i'm plotting them correctly they are not near each other i'm gonna say i don't know because i don't have earth Corps in front of me and i'm gonna move on past that question and wait for the rewrite of earth Corps, in which everything will be absolutely perfect it is possible that Mark from Columbia, Maryland might be a cartographer. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks for gumming up my program for crying. How I, dare you I'm show up sure. here and, and embarrass me in front of my friends? Do you think I'm fun? Am I funny to you? Am I, <laughs> am I a clown? <laughs> Continue. Uh, there's we can, The squeaking you hear <laughs> is the dog of doom squeaking on the... Agia- the, the hedgehog Eggie of doom. Yeah, Eggie Augie of doom. The hedgehog is named Eggie Augie, but the, we'll go into that later. Continue. Third question. In Ancestor, what animals make up, make up the final Ancestor genetic code? It has claws and a fin and a cowhide skin and a mammal origin. That's a, that's a rhyme, by the way. The, uh, you're a rapper, dude. Where did the sig- signaling fin come from and the, hu- the huge triangular mouth? This even has my veterinarian friend stumped. I figure it must have been some bear... Some big cat, a whale, and dolphin DNA. Okay. Uh, I can answer that quickly. You're not going far enough back. Wait, wait. Oh, 
The signal fin reminds me of an ancient dinosaur or yep. a fish, and the mouth sounds like a crocodile. Yep. Uh, so your veterinarian friends have never taken care of a Dimetrodon, I'm pretty sure. So you have to go much farther back into Synapsida, and you have to go farther back along the evolutionary tree of Mammalia all the way back, all the way back, pretty much. So, um, and, and you have to remember that Gian was a crazy jet age genius and also just plain crazy. So she, spoiler alert, if you've heard, if you haven't read Ancestor, skip ahead about 30 seconds and go. Jen was bug nuts crazy and able to craft in DNA the way other people can sculpt in clay or chisel something out of stone. She didn't know what she was creating. She wasn't even aware she was creating it, but she was creating it all along. And basically, she created one of her own nightmares. And that's kind of the, the hidden text subtext of Ancestor, which makes you wonder when we ever get to Descendant, the sequel to Ancestor, what that baby's going to be like, because Gian programmed all of that too. Yeah. So that is the answer to your question. All of that stuff is based on the mammalian ancestral tree all the way back to Synapsida, proto-mammals, etc. It's a lot of fancy words. So is, you can look them up. Is Gian's baby the new ancestor, the new savior king? No. Are you sure? I wish I'd thought of that sooner, but it's too late. Okay. No. Hey, Scott, Rapid Eye here. I know usually I bust your balls over the years, but uh, this time i got to take my hat off and tip it towards you. My uh, balls do hurt. You know, I was a little dubious about redoing, you know, the whole uh, nocturnal. You know, I, I listened to the first one, enjoyed the first one. But, I'm uh, listening. i got to hand it to you. You are correct. Yes. You and the Shiv have cooked up a whole new level of awesome. Yes. This uh, second edition of the uh, nocturnal is much tighter, mm -hmm. much better story. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of pissed about Robin getting killed off, but having oh, spoiler said alert. that, I can see if you're going to have somebody be some dark, awesome, you know, yeah. protector of the night, he can't have some woman weighing him down. So I get that. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway you did a great job getting the second edition out. I think it's a much tighter story. I enjoyed it. And also, one of the other things I wasn't happy with originally yeah. was uh, having not you narrate it, but... Uh, Phil Giganti and him and his crew did an awesome job. Yeah. He nailed it. He did a great job. He uh, he certainly sexy Phil had all the voices down. He did it, and uh, kudos to you for picking somebody to do such a great job. He's, all right, he's great. Love you, man. All right, take care. Okay, right, have I mentioned I have a man crush on Phil Giganti's voice yet? Have I mentioned that? Uh, you have. The director of Doom is distracted because the dog of Doom is jumping up on the back of the and chair. And trying to chew on my ponytail. Trying to chew on her ponytail. Very poor etiquette for recording. I know. I'm going to kick that dog later. I'm going to kick it with you're everything not, I got. You're not. You love that dog. <laughs> Just, yeah, I think may have All to. I can see, I'm looking right at it. All he's his little head <laughs> popping up behind him as he jumps and tries to. I think when we're done with this question, there may be a break to take Maybe the dog break. out. Maybe a break to take the dog out. So, first of all. I'm uncomfortable with the woman holding him down line. I'm going to go ahead and just in my brain change that to the not as active, significant other holding you down uh, line. Also, but it is a good point. It is a good point. If you want true motivation for a character, if you want to push a character far over into the, you know, kill motherfuckers first and then, you know, a ask questions later, Brian has arrived in that land. And that's largely because of that moment um, with Robin. So glad you like the rewrite. We like the rewrite. Glad you like Phil Giganti. We like Phil Giganti. And uh, let's go to the next question. Dark Overlord. Great job on Nocturnal. Loved it. 
Looking forward to the next project, the big announcement, whatever that may be. Thank you. I'm guessing short stories. Maybe. Some more uh, Hunter Hunterson, maybe. You don't know. Anyway, congrats to you, Phil, A, working in the background. And uh, quick question, just a little offbeat, but did you do claymation movies as a kid? And if so, why did you stop? I think your writing is perfect for that format. Hmm. You need like little 90-second promos for all your work. Done in claymation, that would be awesome. (laughs) Cheers. Claymation is an enormous amount of work. And it requires the discipline of someone who's probably far more patient than I am. But no, I've never done claymation movies. Um, I'm a big fan of Robot Chicken, though, which is basically claymation with toys. So you don't actually have to. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Mark Berry, who is that voice, uh, he might be messing with you. Oh, you think so? Maybe. I don't know. know. We'll see him at Sigler Fest, though. We will. So we'll we'll find out. Moving on to the next call. Yes. Siggy. You know how I know you're gay? Uh-oh. You got all politically correct and crap on us. What happened there? It was great. I was enjoying the unbiased, throwing everything around, having a good time. That's her. Now you're Christian and politically correct. What happened there? Wait, I'm Christian and politically Love correct? stories anyhow. Keep doing it. Okay. Well, I'm glad you liked the stories. I don't know who that was. I'm not sure that Christian and politically correct go hand in hand. Those two things kind of well, on, the inter, I, on the inner tubes fight against each other sometimes. Well, and I'm not so sure that... Is that a bad thing? Is, is, is being politically correct and... So if you're politically correct and Christian, of which you have several fans, who yeah, are those things? Who are both, both is it, one or the other or both. And I assume then that's... A, that was a pejorative that you're also gay well that's uh, that that's a line from the 40 year old virgin no i understand that segment of that of course and in the 40 year old virgin that was fine but are you saying that's exactly what happened here because i think all three of those things oh i think he was commenting against you i think it's know how i know you're gay because you don't insult people i i I'm not sure I'm right. following the thread on this I'm one. not sure I'm following the thread either, but I, I think that, you know, there are a certain number of your fans who somehow think the only way you can continue to entertain, I imagine, is to never evolve and to never change and I, to always punch low, I guess. I don't know. Because... Uh, it's it's a weird thing but you know this is one of those rare things it's what i always feel the the reason i think i'm getting it right is because i have people from all across the political spectrum who think i am one of them mm-hmm. i've got hard wing or hardcore right wing christians who think i'm a hard wing hardcore right wing christian i've got hardcore left wing liberals who think i am one of them i've got people in the middle who think i'm one of them and usually it all comes down to, we talked about this at Dragon Con, a bunch of different panels. It comes down to the fact that I don't diminish a particular segment of the world populace by setting them up as the patsy. Oh, the straight white male is a dumbass, so we're going to make fun of him. Or the transgendered woman isn't, you know, uh, part of our, our social sphere, so we're going to belittle that and make that the butt of our jokes we don't do that in any of my fiction every time you get a character even the bad guys who are clearly bad guys everybody's operating from the from the perspective that they are in the right no one in the world 
that I'm aware of actually goes out and thinks, I'm a bad person. I'm going to go do bad things. Uh, ISIS, cutting people's heads off. They are fully convinced they're doing the right thing. And whenever I write from any perspective, it is, let's just take it from the perspective of this character and show you what they think and then let people make up their own minds. Now, when you do that, when you don't mock people or you don't diminish a particular segment, anybody who is in that segment immediately thinks that you're on their side, that you're one of them. You know, mm-hmm. that, and unfortunately in our culture right now, the hardcore right-wing Christians are beat on a little bit from time to time. When you write somebody who's a Christian in a book and you don't make fun of them or you don't mock them, they're like, whoa, what's all of this then? I guess he's one of us because he's not treating us like idiots. I don't treat anybody like idiots. Everybody in my books is always coming from the same perspective. So I'm not really so, sure how that relates to the call, but... Well, I'm uh, not so sure that the caller was actually asking a question as much as forcing his own political agenda. So just to clear it up... Um, you're an enigma is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So are you Christian? Yes or no? No comment. And are you politically correct? Yes or no? No comment. And are you gay? Yes or no? No comment. Perfect. Yes. Moving on to the next call. Hello, Scott. Hello, A. This is Big John calling. Big John. Uh, well, congratulations on the conclusion of the Nocturnal podcast. Big John! Fantastic. Thank and you. a great showcase of Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Gigante's Yes. I um, love that big job. two questions. One, I wanted to know, um, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's probably asking this, but if there has been any movement on the Nocturnal TV series or if you've heard anything. We'll answer that. Um, now that you're that much closer to the show down there in, in uh, San Diego, being so much closer to Los Angeles and all, where all those wonderful things are produced, mm-hmm. if you heard, have heard anything more. Uh, and then the other question I had was, in this notorious 15-page letter that you got from the Shiv about all these edits that he was requesting, I was wondering what was the most difficult thing for you to change? Like, what was it that you really wanted to hold on to, but that he was insistent on changing? So, anyway, those are the questions that I had, and looking forward to seeing you again at SigmaFest. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Um, bye-bye. So I'll answer the first question first. Can I go first? Yes. I love Big John. Big John's uh, awesome peeps. He's the man. He's the man. Mm -hmm. Uh, First question, well, second question first now. Um, TV show, we're getting ready to go out and attack Hollywood again. Our first first front against Hollywood, we didn't win. Frankly, that's all there is to it. Uh, Lloyd Levin pitched it, and he's the guy who produced Hellboy, in case I haven't mentioned that before, Mm -hmm. because it's kind of of friggin' fancy. Mm -hmm. Also a great dude. Uh, he took a script, he took my series Bible, took a script by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, who, uh, who wrote a, a, a very experienced in the world of TV, and went and pitched it to a bunch of people. A bunch of people said no. A company called E1 said, yes, we want this. And then we got right to the end when we were going to sign the contracts. And then E1 sort of, you know, they changed direction. It wasn't really what they wanted. And we were like, okay, go back to the drawing board. Everybody's got to go back and do that. Although E1 now is doing the V Wars series by our buddy Jonathan Mayberry and IDW comics. So I'm very excited to see when that comes out. Um, So we're back at it again and Lloyd's gearing up a battle plan to go out and try and find a network and we'll see what happens because Lloyd's taking the lead in that and A&I support it as best we can. And what was this? Oh, the biggest part of that letter was there was no specific part. It was the letter itself. It was thinking that after five, five or six years of just, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, busting my ass every day, 12 to 14 hours a day, no vacation, no nothing, even on vacation, vacation was working eight hours a day, that I had this finished thing nocturnal 
And I was going to turn that in and they were going to love it. And they were going to come back to me and say, great, here's the changes we need. And I'd work like, you know, an eight hour day for a month uh, and kind of have a normal life. And that's what I thought was going to happen. And then we got the, uh, the 28 page letter back. And uh, that's a buzzsaw you hear in the background, people, if you can hear it. Um, it's not my buzzsaw. I'm not killing anyone right now. That's the not construction right site. But to get that letter back at all was friggin' devastating. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's interesting. I can't. We can't really talk too much about, or at least not in this podcast. It's not time yet to talk about. There, there were a few pieces of pandemic when the first pandemic draft went in. Mm-hmm. Shiv came back with, I, like, I, I keep thinking of this this one really big thing. He was like, "Yeah, I get it. I get what you're doing. It doesn't work." And you were like, "No, no, it works. Let me explain it to you." And he's like, "Nope." Again, if you have to explain it to me, and I and I know this character really, and I know this book really well, and I know this universe really well, it isn't working. If it doesn't work for me, and you have to explain it outside of the pages of the manuscript, it doesn't work for you either, and you really were attached to it. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that at the end, you know, the Q&A for pandemic, but um, there wasn't in that letter, which was 28 pages, not 15, not 22, like you mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't one thing. Really, there wasn't. There it's was too. Shame. There, was, there was too much to even process <laughs> to boil it down to one thing. It was just the shock of thinking I had finally had things figured out, and uh, realizing I didn't have anything figured out at all. And there was no way around it other than a bunch more fourteen-hour days to Although, get it done. To be fair, you did take the letter uh, once you opened it in the giant. It had to be mailed in a big on like a <laughs> you know big eight and a half by eleven sized envelope. You took it. You opened it. He also emailed it to you. And you took it, you opened it, you put it all back in the envelope after you read, after you realized that was all just letter. Mm-hmm. And then you went to Edinburgh Castle and had scotch. Yep. <laughs> and didn't read it. Lot. I took a scotch and a highlighter. But and, you uh, never actually opened the letter. Like you never no. went through the letter. You just drank the scotch and I needed I needed liquid courage for that one. <laughs> so that's the way it goes. Jiminy Christmas. Look how long this is becoming a very long podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now coming up on question 10 of 23 calls. And how many emails do we have left? Four, four emails, maybe more than one question per email. Four, at least four questions in the email. So what we're going to do is I'm going to, so that this actually fits in your RSS feed. Yeah, and you don't yell important. at us because it's going to be gigantic. That's how Oprah would say it. Everyone, look under your seats. A gigantic podcast for and everyone. You get a nocturnal question. And, and you, you get a nocturnal and question. You and you get a nocturnal question. You get a Fitzroy question. Yes, the uh, Bloody Marys are kicking in. So what we're going to do is do one more question, and then we're going to stop this crazy thing. And Jane, and we are going to end this, and then we'll do the rest of the questions for the Friday Fix uh, on Friday. What do you think? I think that's a good idea. Okay, so let's get to that question. Hi, Scott. This is Neil from the UK. I hope I haven't missed the cutoff for the Q&A for Nocturnal. It's okay. I wanted to know, when you did the rewrite of Nocturnal for Crown, uh-huh. which scene did you was the hardest one to cut out, and why was it cut out? Thanks for all the great stuff you're doing. Um, really enjoying your things over in the UK, and I'm promoting your books in my school. Mm. Cheers. That's an interesting... Oh, okay, Slurpee. Slurpee, hey, mm. we're working. That's an you interesting twist on that question. Yes. Uh, I guess, even going back to John's question, we responded with the big picture with John, so we'll get down to... Liam, we'll get down to the little picture. The ba- the, the ship scene at oh, the end. Oh, no question. That's, I mean, it was... I God, I, when I came up with the concept of 
But can, should I do spoilers or no? Because the a lot new of people one or this one? That what I had to cut out of the old one, the, the first draft. To put I think in I this can one. talk sort of generally. I, I think I'll do spoilers because you get long winded. Okay. The, the, the end of the first Nocturnal mm-hmm. had this very, very big scene on the Jerem, Jeremiah O'Brien, which is a, an actual real live ship that mm-hmm. is in San Francisco Bay. Um, it's a military, I forget what it is, it's not an aircraft carrier, it's a no, destroyer. It's a, it's a cargo ship. Cargo ship. Yep. It's a Liberty, can, cla- liberty class oh, it's cargo a liberty ship. ship mm-hmm. right. So you can, um, you can take yourself on a tour and all that other stuff of mm-hmm. it. And you had a big showdown between um, mobsters who had a much, of Russian mobsters who had a much bigger presence in mm-hmm. that book in the first draft. And um, and a lot of the players that you know from this nocturnal, and that had to change um, for reasons that we don't need to get into because at that is sort of a second stage. Essentially, what happened is you had such a big, meaty book, we had to pull out one of the subplots, and the subplot that you pulled out was sort of the growing um, um, infiltration of of actual gangsters on the surface Mm -hmm. in in nocturnal or in san francisco i mean so that's what had to come out that for sure i mean i also remember the first draft you were trying to take out the scene with um savior in the hospital Mm -hmm. and that was too hard to take out and then you shoehorned it back in and then you sent it to shiv and then you guys actually figured out a graceful way to transition there and it really works very well and changed a handful of things there um Including changing a little bit of what Brian finds out about himself also kind of happens during that whole scene and what Pookie realizes and all that stuff happens together. But Mm -hmm. that also came out of the first draft um, and then came back in and then for a while that was where the whole thing ended. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that I gosh, you hated to lose that Jeremiah O'Brien. I worked. I tried to find every way. you. I mean, I worked on it for a week. A week's way of like, how can, okay, I'm going to go back, I'm going to reshuffle the plot, I'm going to do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Rex, have Rex's dad is going to have this connection, and all these different things to try and figure out how a teenage kid, an unpopular teenage kid with no resources, could somehow connive his way onto the Jeremiah O'Brien for that big set piece final battle, and there was just no way to do it. So, yeah, what are you going to do? So, uh, it was still one of the, it's one of the, the that, I think that scene and the barn scene in Ancestor and the first autopsy scene in the Infected series are the, the, the my favorite things that I have ever written from the cinematic. I would pay to see that in the movie theater at least three nights in a row. Right. And we had to cut it. So it was, uh, it was pretty difficult. It's hard for you to talk about it now. Yeah, it's it's pretty, so interesting. Well, the so good much news, work. though, is that, that with uh, you use a program called Scrivener to write. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Scrivener, you're able to take that and put it in a quote-unquote binder on uh, in the program mm-hmm. um, as a sort of fully intact and tagged for Nocturnal 2. So it's super easy to find. It would be super easy to use again and a super easy place to start and or finish yep. um, the next book. And, and uh, it will be in there, and of course, it's going to have to get gutted and rewritten. And, you know, that was, at this point, that was seven years ago. I'm a better writer now than I was then, and we'll right. have to redo it. But the gist of it will be there. And this is the end of the first half. Have we ever done this before? No, but we, we've we also never had so many people send in MP3s and stuff like that, so it's awesome. It's fan- you people, you people are fantastic. And, here's and by my you promise. people, I mean you people. And here's my promise to okay. you people. Hit me. Not you, you people. Oh. Um. If you come back on Friday, 
I think there's two things that will be true. We don't listen to these questions in advance, so some of them may be familiar. We might have talked about them this week, so we'll do a quick summary and then move on. Mm-hmm. And also, I will keep him short-winded as much as I can. Although, I don't, I don't know to be, let's, let's peek behind the curtain. Let's hike up the kimono, as they say, and show what is going on. We're going to hit pause right now. And then, going to process this MP3. And then you guys are going to have to feel Friday. For us, immediately, as soon as we're done, we're going to start recording again. Which is why I hope I can keep you short-winded. Which is I'm on my second Bloody Mary. And we'll see how successful she is with that endeavor. Yeah. All right. So that is it, junkies. How about we wrap this up? Okay. We'll wrap this up. Anyways, we will be back on Friday. We're having a good time listening to all of you tell us what you liked about the book and or did not like about the book. At any rate... We're done. We'll be back on Friday with part two of the Nocturnal Q&A episode. And until then, A Real Girl and I will talk to you all real soon. Bye, guys. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.